Welcome to the Kelly Patrick Show. Thank you so much for tuning in. In today's episode, I am joined by Tyler Yonke of Libertarian Podcast Review. He's joining me from California. Really appreciate Tyler joining me today. If you're a fan of the Kelly Patrick Show, I ask that you please send my sponsors some referrals. The title sponsor of the show is Louisville Combat Academy, located at 7908 Beulah Church Road, Louisville, Kentucky, 40228. They have a great MMA program, but also, even if you aren't planning on fighting in the cage, they have a great jiu-jitsu program for adults, female-friendly classes, and a great kids program also. Check out Louisville Combat Academy. Heidi Solars Coots. Heidi is a licensed clinical social worker and licensed clinical alcohol and drug counselor, specializing in treating anxiety, depression, trauma, and addiction with a mindful and holistic approach. Heidi is actually my mother, and I can attest she is a saint. Call her at 502-457-1823. Virtual and telephonic appointments are available anywhere in the United States. Veercast Digital Media. Veercast Digital Media at veercast.com. Matt McCarthy runs Veercast, and he is also the producer for The Kelly Patrick Show. They do video production, aerial drone photography, web design, and podcast production. Contact them at info at veercast.com to start your own video show or podcast. Also, my health insurance practice, Benefits Analysis Corporation. Based in Troy, Ohio, I work from my Louisville, Kentucky office. I can help anyone in the United States with their health insurance needs. I'm an independent broker for health insurance solutions for individuals, families, Medicare-eligible individuals, and also groups. I can also write life insurance, and long-term care. If you want to support the podcast, please send me some referrals. 502-386-0978. We are going to head to the Louisville Combat Academy Roadcaster line, where I am now joined by Tyler uh, Yonke. Tyler is the host of the podcast, which is titled Libertarian Podcast Review. I know there's more to you, Tyler, than just your podcast, but for the sake of today's episode, that's how I learned about you. Uh, welcome to the show, Tyler. Oh, thanks for having me on, Kelly. I appreciate it. If we could, being this is the first time I've been able to chat with you, could you introduce yourself to the Kelly Patrick Show audience? I know you're an attorney, but how did the concept of a libertarian podcast review come about? And also, who are you, Tyler? Uh, yeah. Uh, so you said I'm an attorney. I am an attorney. I, although I, I interviewed uh, Mark Clare recently and I mentioned I'm an attorney and I had a specific reason for doing that. And then I got into, uh, got some hate online from another attorney who said he just wouldn't listen to me because I'm an attorney. <laughs> so what the hell? Uh, it happens to be the, yeah, yeah, people are crazy. It happens to be the career that I've uh, been able to support my family with. Um, that is what I do. Uh, the podcast stuff is just for fun. Um, I don't make any money on it. I haven't ever even tried. Um, the, the libertarian, I, I got into libertarianism. I've always been libertarian leaning, like for most of my life. <laughs> and then um, really got into it in 2016, the full bore, just headlong into. And then I, I wanted to do a podcast of some sort. I'd had one um, dealing with kind of my other side of my life, which is cycling. I'd been doing a podcast for quite a while with that. And I really got frustrated, especially over the COVID. I wanted to talk to people about um, something different than, you know, something more meaningful in a sense or kind of rant. And then there's just, everyone has a podcast out there, right? And there's, especially in the libertarian space, there's, there's a diamond, there are a diamond dozen. So I'm like, how can I have a little bit of a niche? Now I wanted, so I wanted to, I love listening to podcasts. I wanted to kind of review or, you know, talk about clips. And I figured if I do a podcast review, I could do a few things. One, I can just review podcasts that I like and really push out their people's uh, shows and, and or maybe specific episodes, help people find, you know, and doing it kind of a positive way. Another thing is to just uh, do episode breakdowns. You can do that kind of thing too. Uh, but then, you know, as a host, I could interview people, which is actually the most fun for me because it's a conversation. It takes the least of my <laughs> preparation, at least the way I do it, maybe a little more Larry King style where I don't even, you know, necessarily read about him. Uh, and just have a conversation. Those are to me the, the fun part. So this enables me to do that. And then I've been um, really blessed to have some 
friends in this space that, you know, it's kind of incestuous in a good way where everyone wants you on their podcast and then you want them on yours. And, and for the most part, everyone's, uh, has fun and, and, and does it that way. And I'll just say one thing real quick. I, for the most part, I don't really dig into people and like uh, rip on their podcasts. I try to do it in more of a little positive aspect, but, um, there are a few times that I, I have wanted to, and I, and I do. And that one of them is this neoliberal podcast that just had a uh, Joe Bishop henchman, the people that are aware of the libertarian world and, um, Andy Craig. And I'm going to take a deep dive into that one. I think so. I actually listened to that episode. <laughs> I don't know why. What the fuck is wrong with me? Why did I listen to that? Ep- why are we intrigued by that episode? Well, and and, and uh, Liberty uh, DL uh, the um, on online Liberty Pod uh, Dad Pod, I think is his name. Um, he just did a breakdown of that, and Dave Smith had tweeted it out, and and I was like, oh, you just ruined my episode. I'd already prepped for it. I think I'm still going to do it. And why did we listen to that? Because it is interesting to see what the people kind of in, in inside are saying about it. Right. It's one thing to have, you know, uh, other people outside of the libertarian movement making comments, but when you kind of are having apostates in a sense, leave the movement and then just dig it in and, and lie about it. At, um, it's, I don't know. It's interesting. I like to try Did you to, enjoy that. Um, it was fascinating. I, I had heard, I'd only heard yeah. from Andy Craig from when he debated Dave Smith. I, heard, I assume you heard that also, right? Yeah. Um, and then I, of course, knew who Joe Bishop Henchman was, but I like to do the Kelly Patrick show. I'm a regional MMA podcast. So I, I hope that some of the people listening to this episode will have no idea who Joe Bishop Henchman or Andy Craig <laughs> is. So I hope that we can start to try to um, introduce them to some of this type of stuff. How would you position what was that podcast? What, what what's, set it up prior and... What would your brief description, I mean, what would your description be of what that was? Yeah. So I, I'm glad you kind of told me a little bit about kind of your, some of your audience there. And I, um, so I've been involved in the Libertarian party and then I've been able to be a delegate, a voting delegate. So people, you know, most likely know about the Democrats and the Republicans, maybe the Libertarians and that you have party politics and you have state elections and then those state elections of your, your, your officers, you know, delegates get to go to the national convention and vote. And when I got involved in this and I had some other friends that were tangentially interested in libertarianism, um, I did not want to describe to them what takes place at like a convention. Cause it's the, the how the sausage is made and it's really ugly and it's just boring and it's almost a turnoff to libertarianism. So with that in mind, there are some great points about libertarianism that you can, you have, and, and I, I'm much involved in that. And the libertarian party, the Joe Bishop Henchman, uh, took over, uh, the national chair of the party, um, what, two years ago. Uh, and then Andy Craig is another guy. And what's interesting about the two of them and you listen to the podcast. And so they went basically the Mises caucus. And I think you did a, a breakdown about, um, or an episode, I think, uh, about the Mises caucus takeover of the libertarian party. And now there's a bunch of people that are really upset with this. And so these two guys went on this show, which is more of a left leaning, um, trying to pull from the Democrats. And they, so they had these two guys on what was interesting about you, you listen to that a few takeaways right away. One is both of these guys don't have real jobs. What I mean by that is they either work for a think tank or some sort of think tank oriented. And I don't know if they've ever done real, what I would consider real work in their, in their lives. And I'm a little demeaning because if you listen to it, they, they don't deserve much more than that. And then they go outright in the Andy Craig interview uh, or the debate with Dave Smith, just the title of it, which is Dave, the white supremacist or something along the lines of that was so outrageous uh, to even go and do a debate. So these guys go and they, um, uh, Joe, I think they're either both, liber- uh, um, I want to say they're both attorneys or at least they live kind of in that realm. And it was disappointing to hear people just make, declarative statements about other parties and about other people and not use anything to back it up. So kind of a quick way to think about that. If you really want to be a a cheap attorney is all you have to do is you you make a statement, you say the word because, and then you have supporting evidence that follows that. That's really, it's, it's a simple way to make an argument with evidence and they just could not, and they never would do that. It's Dave Smith is a white nationalist. And then they don't explain how they got there for this Jew. (laughs) So anyway, that's that was my little breakdown of that. Yeah, that sounds about right. It was very fascinating to hear. I mean, 
I I guess is it accurate that ever since the beginning of the Libertarian Party, there was almost like a a, a group within the movement they were kind of like communists. Um, possibly. I don't know the the full history. I mean, look, the party I think created in the the early seventies. I want to say seventy one or seventy four, somewhere around that way area with um, Murray Rothbard, who's kind of a philosophical uh, guy, an economist of the Austrian background, and um, the, the Libertarian Party itself has always been, I would say, a large tent because the the main two tenets that we have had are basically to, to dumb it down or don't hurt people and don't take their stuff. So with that in mind, you can really have a bunch of people included in that. You can have your kind of your right wingers that are for liberty. You can have your left wingers for, you know, you can have your own commune and have a complete, you know, communist society within that commune, as long as you aren't imposing yourself on others. So there's all kinds that you can have in there. And yeah, the party's gone back and forth. Um, it, what you just made me think about something, there was a, a, a contentious plank that uh, it's a party platform that got removed uh, at the convention. And it was about um, saying that, uh, you know, if you are a member of the party, that all racism is um, uh, repugnant and, and you know, basically you're taking a stand towards it. And that was in the party plank to begin with. It got removed again and then it got reinserted back in recently. Uh, the two guys on the show said it had been there forever and it hadn't. Um, and what I think is interesting about the removal of that and, and how it had been used, it's been used as a sword rather than saying, yeah, we think um, bigotry is, is ridiculous. They were using it as, okay, now we get a call, Dave Smith as an example, a white nationalist. And since we are doing that, now his views are repugnant and we are using it as a sword instead of a defense mechanism to actually protect people that are, you know, unjustly, uh, you know, different races and, and, and there's bias against them. They are now using it to bludgeon people. And I think that is the reason why that plank was actually removed from the party platform. We're getting in the weeds here. Is this, no, uh, <laughs> is no, this what no, you wanted? No. Yeah. I, I love it. Clearly you, I guess the way I'm looking at you, Tyler, is you are, and correct me if I'm wrong, you're an expert when it comes to libertarian podcasting. <laughs> um, you know what? I, I think a lot of people can be experts. All I am, I'm a big fan. Okay. So uh, I grew up uh, joining talk radio, you know, baseball and, and, and all kinds of stuff on radio, listening to it. And then and my dad was listening to talk radio and I, I, I was, you know, politics and that as well. Uh, so I've just been a fan for quite some time. And, and you know, that listening that you do is um, evolved obviously into the podcast world. And it's a very active thing. You know, one thing that you can do, you can listen to these podcasts and you can, you know, work. I, I did a bunch of house projects this weekend, headphones in, you know, just working away and you can, and, and it's engaging in your mind too. It's not like just miss, listen to music where it's just a little more background, but everyone is in a sense, those kind of things. And I wanted to, you know, talk about these shows. So yeah, I listen to a bunch of them. I try to rotate those around and you get kind of stuck in one or two and then you want to rotate to a different one. Uh, at least I do to try to capture a whole new uh, sense of, and then you get stuck, you know, with this person that's great. And so then you're always listening to the same things. And so, um, yeah, expert, I appreciate that, but uh, no, I'm just a big fan. If you were to educate someone listening who the theory here is, hopefully someone will tune in and be like, Kelly's talking politics. I don't like the political episodes, but I'll try this one. If they're listening, what would be a good, libertarian podcast for someone who's not familiar with liberty oriented ideas what would be a good because really realistically in 2022 of course reading a book is great um but podcasting is a, a real common way to consume information what would be a liberty 101 type dip your toe in the water podcast you'd recommend well, see, you're, you're hitting right off. So when I first was doing this, uh, I would take a show and I would start from day one that it had, uh, and I would walk my way all through the, all their episodes. I'd play clips from those. And then I would ask the questions sort of like, is this a, a podcast you could introduce to a, 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 you know, quote unquote, a normie? Is this someone that you would give to someone who's maybe interested in libertarianism? But the, so in other words, at the time I, I interviewed, I did a, a Pete, um, Quinones, the Pete Quinones show it used to be called free man beyond the wall. I just said, this is not a show that you give to your initial 
person to introduce because you could be a little bit uh, harsh, right? You want to kind of lead them into the water. So, um, so great question. And I'm trying to think now of some of these shows and, and actually my, my answer even to those are depends on who it is. So if you have a family, a friend, you need to kind of assess that person. Maybe they are the type that would just love some sort of conspiracy theory. Then there's, uh, you know, different shows that would be appropriate for them. Maybe they love comedy. Maybe it's the tower power guys for that kind of thing or, or slurp gang or even not a podcast. Um, but Dave Smith is always going to be, you know, a great option for someone just coming into the movement. But I think uh, if someone wants to dig their toe and you're a little bit more worried about um, maybe a presentation and, and having them be turned off, uh, Tom Woods is probably your prime example of a great podcast that uh, is well-reasoned, very well thought out. Uh, he can go get you to the extremes if you're interested in that by introducing you to some people. But um, he, anyway, so Tom, Tom Woods was probably a prime, uh, that one, Lions of Liberty, uh, even Reason Magazine um, has some decent podcasts that are, you know, some people are upset and think there might be what's called blue-pilled libertarians, but they're Roundtable, uh, Nick Gillespie's, uh, interviews, and then even the uh, solo forum, those are all solid ones. You reference being blue-pilled. Why are there so many, I guess that those are matrix uh, references. Why is the blue pill or the black pill or the white pill or whatever it is, why is that such a big part yeah. of libertarian discussion? I think, um, and I'm, I don't know the exact origin, but I think it comes from Michael Malice, who's a libertarian adjacent as uh, an anarchist. Um, he wrote a book called the new right. And in there he, he walks you through this alt right pipeline. That's very closely adjacent to some of the libertarian. Now, I don't believe that there's a libertarian to alt right pipeline. There's definitely some trickle effects back and forth. So yeah, you mentioned it. It's the um, matrix where you take the blue pill or the red pill. The blue pill just keeps you in that matrix thinking, you know, life is the way it is your eyes are still shrouded and then the red pill kind of uh, suddenly opens yourself up. And I think the reason that comes so strong to the libertarian movement and why it's happened is I, I would actually phrase it in a little bit different than some of the other parties that people have talked about this, which is um, Dave Smith, people don't know, he's a big libertarian comedian. He's talked about how being a libertarian. And I, I think I've felt this myself is gives you some sort of a superpower. Okay. And what that in his, his meaning is, um, so I used to be a Republican and, you know, you follow the Republican party and it, for the most part, you're in there, whatever the party decides on that issue, you're kind of just following along, whatever is being dictated. You don't really think it's dictated. You're just going along. And the same with the left. And suddenly when you're become a libertarian or you start to think in those realms of things, it's more like, what are my principles doing and guiding me? Okay. So. For me, it's like a superpower where you can look at the news from one side, you can look at the news from the next, and, and from the left, it's from the right, and you can make your decisions based on your your principles rather than how the party is dragging you. And when you, I think when you can start doing that, suddenly you realize the press is leading you astray, the academia is leading you astray, your party is probably leading you astray, and suddenly you know the scales are removed from your eyes and you're able to see more clearly and see some of the deception out there. And I think that is, it rings true to libertarians mostly because they've gone through that experience of kind of coming from one side or the other. You know, there's hardly any of them out there that are born into libertarianism and just kind of, you know, progress that way. So I think that to me, uh, at least from my experience, is a big reason why these pills, in a sense, which is a crude way of talking about it, but um, I think it makes sense. Tyler, you said you used to be a Republican. My question is, first, how old are you? And how did that progression occur? Oh, that's, that's off limits. I'm, no, I'm, that's, uh, I'm 51. So, um, grew up in the Northwest. Parents were, you know, we weren't, didn't have much money, but, um, they were conservative and religious. Uh, so I just was always kind of just have that brain, uh, before I was an engineer. I mean, before I was a, a, an attorney, I was an engineer. So just kind of have that, that mindset. Um, very politically involved as far as like reading and all those kind of things. And then, uh, always, like I said, always had some libertarian, uh, philosophy. I read Bastiat in college, really enjoyed that. I would encourage someone if they want to step into libertarian world or just liberty rights in a sense, it's a uh, Bastiat. The law is a quick little read, much like Murray Rothbard's uh, anatomy of the state. 
Um, but then uh, the, what really pushed me over was I got married, in, uh, remarried in uh, 2012 and my wife was already a libertarian. Um, and so I was just kind of moving that direction. And then the election, uh, when Trump got uh, nominated for the GOP, I was just kind of, dis- now I didn't hate Trump and I never did. I was just disenchanted with him. And I think I, I wanted an excuse to move over to the libertarian party. So um, I did though. The day that he, and I had another connection too, which was Ted Cruz. I was a fan of at the time. His wife was a, uh, we went to high school together. So I was kind of pulling for him. And then when he didn't get picked, I was disgusted and um, immediately changed my registration to libertarian. And I've been uh, happy with it ever since. And plus I live in California, so it really doesn't matter how I vote. So I assume in 2016 you voted for Gary Johnson. I did. Yeah. Um, I think my wife voted for Trump. Um, but I remember at that time, even watching it that night, you know, like I said, California didn't matter. I was just trying to get ballot access and, and to, to help the libertarian party. And, but we're watching the election that night and the, the meltdown, you know, and our whole, you know, our kids are kind of humor thinking it's funny about how people are acting. I'm on you know Facebook watching friends have just utter, you know, meltdowns. And, um, so yeah, that wasn't, I didn't, like I said, I didn't hate Trump. Um, I think he did some good libertarian things, uh, but, uh, you know, not my guy. Okay. So in hindsight, was Gary Johnson a good representative of the libertarian, um, I shouldn't even say party, just liber- Liberty principles in your opinion. No, he, I mean, he was, he was fine. He was a milk toast. You know, it didn't, uh, what's interesting is I, so a lot of my family, smart people, uh, Republicans, um, they were more turned off by Gary Johnson than I would have expected. Cause I'm like, Oh, he's easygoing. You know, it's, it's a, he's not, a, a, a extreme really one way or another. And they were just like, why would I be interested in, in this guy? He's, he's, you know, so I don't think in that sense, you know, it really took much, um, for the party, you know, where, where's Aleppo. And then, didn't want to uh, the gay cakes. He was, <laughs> he was against that and, and drug stuff. So uh, it wasn't very impressive to me. And I think it, that matter of fact, you know, you listened to that same podcast that I did of the neoliberal one. And they were talking about how, you know, it's a, just a downfall from the new takeover of the libertarian party. When you just had Gary Johnson get 3.5% of the vote. But up until that point, as far as the actual election, he was polling somewhere close to five and more until the last few weeks when he really, people started to take a closer look at him. So it was a disappointing time. It was big opportunity and it was a missed. And yes, he got 3.5% of the vote, one of the biggest ever. Uh, but still when you had the two most disliked candidates ever running, you know, and that's all you did. It's a little bit of a disappointment, at least for me. I live in Kentucky. So in November, I'm looking forward to voting for Rand Paul. Of course, to yeah. ho- hopefully stay in the Senate. I'm very proud of that. Do you have, obviously, I mean, I've got Thomas Massey and Rand Paul in Kentucky, mm-hmm. so I'm relatively spoiled. Um, do you have anyone that you've been able to vote for on the more local level? So I know that's Senate and Congress, so not local, really. But do you have anyone that you've been able to vote for, either Senate or Congress or more local than that, who really embodies uh, libertarian principles that you're proud of having voted for? So not typical, not really uh, on a really, really local level. There was a guy here that um, city council that we had voted for that I, I got to kind of know just um, outspoken on some issues. And I really, you know, more and look, you're going to, for me personally, you're going to find uh, more in common with like the GOP than you are, especially on the local side than you are the, 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 the Democrats simply because they're more likely to be at least nowadays care about free speech Um economics are going to be a big deal. And I think everything is economic, your speech, everything kind of is gets pushed through the economic sphere. And we can see that right now as well. Um, otherwise we do have a um, Republican in California, Kevin Kiley. He's running, I think he's running for Congress right now. Um, he had made a real push. He was trying to actually on the recall that they had of Gavin Newsom that didn't, that failed. He was one of the highly touted people for that. And he, um, during COVID, he was literally, he was in a lot of people's talk. He actually was filing lawsuits. He got several things reversed uh, against Gavin Newsom. And we can, you know, if you think about the elections after the fact, Trump goes and he files a bunch of lawsuits and none of them really allege um, 
fraud. They were more like we're talking about due process. But the problem he had was a bunch of these governors took um, emergency powers and they enacted different election laws before the election. And he and the parties there should have done what Kevin Kiley did in California, which was file a lawsuit saying you don't have the ability and the, to do this. And then in California, those laws actually got rescinded and the voting had to be, you know, it was different than you had in a lot of states, which a lot of states, just, Pennsylvania was a prime example of, I remember all the details, but they had, you know, uh, took emergency powers. It goes against election law. The election then happens. And then they try to bring it after the fact. And that's just not going to happen. So Kevin Kiley's one. I, I do like he's a Republican. Um, I actually had some con- um, communication with him when my daughter had an issue trying to graduate without being vaccinated. Um, and um, he kind of helped us with that. So yeah, good guy. Very cool. Okay. So moving right along and I apologize for my ADHD interview style. I kind of bounce all, <laughs> no, over, I like it. all over the place. Um, okay. So you voted for Gary Johnson in hindsight. He was a little milk toast not the most exciting, charismatic candidate. Moving right along, for 2020, Joe Jorgensen came about. What are your thoughts? What were your thoughts when she, because going into it, I was expecting uh, Jacob Hornberger to get the the nomination. Um, And I assume, I think most people were too. But what were your thoughts when Joe Jorgensen got the nomination? And how do you think she handled the entire process? And then in hindsight, what are your thoughts on Joe Jorgensen? And I guess we'll include Spike Cohen in that, in that campaign. Yeah. So I didn't know much at all about Joe Jorgensen and I was actually pulling for, um, Jacob Hornberger as well. Although I, I, I felt that at the time kind of where we were at the, in the position that Justin Amash would have been fine with me too. I, I was, I was fine with him. Um, and then he, you know, obviously bailed out. And then I was actually really disappointed in kind of how Hornberger ran some of his campaign. Um, obviously I, I wasn't super involved in knowing all this process. So once again, I didn't know who Joe Jorgensen was. She gets elect, uh, nominated, didn't know who Spike Cohen was. And then I started to look into them and I was impressed with Spike other than I think he had been kind of a running mate with Vermin Supreme. If people don't know him. He's a, a literal joke in the party. He tries to be a joke. Um, talked about handing out unicorn horses and wears a boot on his head. And I think of like my Republican family and you're like, okay, if you're trying to draw them over to this party and they weren't impressed with Gary Johnson, who had been a uh, governor of New Mexico, decent governor and had run before, you're not going to be at all interested in this party uh, with a, a guy that wears a boot on his head. Anyway, um, Joe Jorgensen gets in. I wasn't super impressed. I was disappointed with a lot of the things that happened with her. And now hindsight, you look back and you see she had an interview um, with uh, Patrick Bet David, a big podcast with him. And she did horrible. And I actually did a review on, so if you go to Liberty Libertarian Podcast Review or check me out on Twitter, T-Y-L-E-R-J-A-N-K-E is my name. Um, I do a bunch of review shows, uh, podcasts, obviously, and Joe Jorgensen had been on there and I did a breakdown and I, and I kind of give my piece where I was disappointed in the, I was a little frustrated with the interviewer. And then I understood where he was coming from, why was we get through and how poor she did. And then she makes some really bad um, comments about, uh, Dave Smith, which were just outright lies. And I kind of compare those. Um, so yeah, I wasn't impressed with her and you know, I think once again, it was just opportunity missed, I believe, but I think the best thing that came out of the 20, excuse me, the last election, um, was Spike Cohen. And, um, I think he's been really good. He doesn't, you know, he's not a Mises caucus guy necessarily, but he's friendly and, uh, he has a lot of good things to say and he says them well, and we need more of those kind of people in the party. I've been fortunate. I've actually been able to interview Spike, I think, like four or five times. It's For some reason, he, wow. he works really hard, and that's basically a credit to he's open to being interviewed a lot, and he always sounds really good. He's kind of dorky. He almost plays up more of the cornball-type angle than, like, Dave Smith. Dave Smith's kind of like a guy's guy. Super cool. Yeah. Um, which is fine. Spike Cohen's more a little bit of a, a, you know, a little bit of a nerd, which is fine. He's still funny and he, he's very articulate with um, messaging and everything. So I agree with you. I'm a big fan of Spike. It is interesting in hindsight that he was associated with Vermin Supreme because I do think Vermin was 
almost more of one of those complete, like almost like communist libertarian types. Yes. Yes. I believe that you're correct on that. And he had subsequently, um, you know, thrown a fit and left the party. Uh, and, and I'll let you get back. I just, just thought of something, <clears throat> you know, the, the interview we, I, I was talking about with uh, Joe Bishop Henchman and Andy Craig, um, that when they, they were talking about how they both left, they're, they're complaining about the takeover of the Libertarian Party. And I'm, I'm just reminded of this. That's why I'm deviating. Or sorry for my ADHD. Um, but they both spoke about how they had left the party a year ago. Okay. Joe Bishop Henchman claims it was due to uh, all the racism within there. When the reality is, I think he had a criminal problem of how he dealt with the Lib- uh, Libertarian Party of New Hampshire. Uh, and then Andy Craig says he left as well. And I'm like, okay, these are, these are the people complaining. And they, they are complaining that there's a takeover, but they are not willing to fight. At least Nick Sarwak, who still was there, and even Vermin Supreme up until the takeover stuff happened, they were at least still in there trying to fight for something that they believed in. So I at least give them a little bit more credit than these two guys that ditched early on. Sorry to deviate. That's, no, that's okay. <laughs> like I said, that's the interview style, and that was very relevant. Um, you just spoke of Nicholas Sarwark in a glowingly positive way. <laughs> why, why is that? Why are you such a big fan of Sarwark? <laughs> See, and now I, I love your question. That's the kind of thing I would say as well, a question. Um, no, I don't like Nick Starwalk. I think he uh, is a, he's a bad guy. Um, and, 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 you know, some of this has to do with um, the, the interviews that you've seen with him or just, I was at the convention and was voting in Reno and I was sitting not too far from him. So I got to see his interactions the whole time. And he, um, and, you know, sometimes, what do they say? Uh, you know, integrity is doing the right thing when nobody's around. You know, I, I haven't seen him when no one's necessarily around, but there were enough people around to see him just do completely ridiculous things like, acting like he got assaulted. Um, and you know, so were you, were you you there for that? I saw the video. I was on the other side at the time of the, of the auditorium. So I saw that, you know, everyone, and then he starts yelling out that he's going to call the cops and he did. And then you look at the video and you're just like, dude, I'm sad for you. You know, you're an attorney. You've talked about being one, uh, plus you're a libertarian. It's just, it's, uh, it's despicable actually. Basically, my description to someone who doesn't know would be Nicholas Sarwark was what the chair of the Libertarian Party. Is that right? Yeah, yeah. He okay. was up until 2016. Yeah. Okay, and so he, for some reason, the Libertarian Party after I don't know when it was. Was it like 2007? Maybe it was 2000. I think he was actually up there longer. Maybe it was 2018 or 20. I'm sorry, I could be wrong on how long he was. Okay, but for some reason, the Libertarian Party started to try to distance themselves from Ron Paul. Was it like 2007, 2008 when all that weird shit started happening? You know, I wasn't involved with them then, but uh, I, you know, looking back they definitely have done that. And I think you know, they want to say it's from some newsletter that I, I don't know who wrote it. Maybe it was Lou Rockwell had done one letter in this whole thing that uh, uh, Ron Paul had put out. Um, it was somewhat tangentially racist, I believe, but you know, the, the everyone knows it's not Ron Paul that had written it. So I don't know what the, what the problem is. I think a lot of it is just the lefty woke stuff that's uh, infiltrated itself in there. And so identity politics is a big deal. And Ron Paul just doesn't, doesn't play that game. So um, I don't know. Nick Sarwak, you're right though. He had taken a shot at Ron Paul online um, a year or two ago. And um, yeah, it's was, it was kind of crazy. So, Tyler, what I was saying was Nicholas Sarwark was involved with the establishment Libertarian Party when they tried to distance themselves, whenever it was, from Ron Paul in that type of a movement. Maybe it's because Ron Paul turned into a Republican or they just wanted to make it very clear they do they were more, I guess in their mind, maybe more to the middle or even more to the left than they were to the right. Something along those lines. And so it, it resulted in, I guess his claim to fame would be in 2016, he did... Um, he talks about it. I heard him in a recent episode that he, he did where he talks about how Gary Johnson did get, what was it, permanent ballot access. So, I mean, there's some quantifiable ways that the 2016 um, campaign did have uh, the most votes, I think, ever for the Libertarian Party and a few other things. Um, and, and Nicholas Sarwark, that was his claim to fame. But since Dave Smith and what's called the Mises Caucus started to take over the Libertarian Party, Nicholas Sarwark has handled it just like a 
a little kid and not in a positive way. I mean, just very petty. He's an attorney also, I believe, and he has looked very bad throughout all this. I guess now he's officially left the Libertarian Party. So he's almost like number one bad guy uh, within the Liberty world. Would you agree with that? Uh, definitely most um, visible bad guy. And, and, and part of that bad guy stuff, you know, like you can make, have disagreements with people. And, and, and for the most part, you could think of like people come in, he feels you know, much like Dave was feeling that the Libertarian Party didn't represent him anymore. You know, Nick now feels the party doesn't represent him anymore. I, I get that, right? Uh, so you can have healthy debate within there. Um, but, but Nick, Nick was, he said one thing, he went up to the mic, uh, during the, the end of the day at you know, Reno and he's like uh, on Sunday and he says something like, um, you know, basically the, the takeover is happening. Right. And so he's uh, going to go say, make something about that. And he's like, we are going to, you know, congratulations to Michael Heist, you know, running this thing and getting all these people, you know, elected. That's great. Good for you because now it has invigorated me to, I'm going to go out and, and raise $3.5 million to run candidates against your guys, you know, not as Democrat or Republican, but as some sort of independent Liberty person. And my first thought is you've been the head of the Libertarian party for years. <laughs> you should have been doing that as the head of the party, raising all that money, right? I mean, now suddenly you're going to, to do it. Where's this influx of funds coming from? And you know, the, the joke out there is that uh, the CIA, because he's a fed. I don't, I don't know if he is. Um, I'm going to interview, I think it's next week. I'll be interviewing Jeremy <laughs> Kaufman. And of course he's running for Senator from New Hampshire. Are you familiar with Jeremy? I am. And I was, uh, I was fortunate enough to actually, um, talk to him while I was out there. So uh, can you hear me? Okay. Something just happened. I, yeah, no, you, you sound great. Okay. Yeah. Um, I actually was able to talk to Jeremy Kaufman out there. Uh, one of the days, um, the freedom caucus, uh, free state project, uh, had a lunch and uh, gave free pizza. That was my in. And then, uh, I went over there and had some conversations with him. So it was actually really good. Yeah, no, uh, great. Good for you. But I, I think Sarwark is maybe supporting, <laughs> someone who's trying to run against Kaufman. Is that, I, I think I saw that somewhere. Uh, possibly. Right. And, and I don't doubt it. What's interesting too, is you get, you know, like there's no one, Dave Smith, you know, who's, who is the default uh, smokes spokesman kind of, you know, now Angela McArdle has been elected, but Dave is still a, a big force there. Um, you know, and no one has ever said, um, you know, in these certain areas where let's say Mike Lee, or let's say where you're at, you know, Thomas Massey runs, do you think the Libertarian Party should run someone against Thomas Massey? That is insane, right? That, <laughs> Thomas Massey is more Libertarian than uh, most of the Libertarian Party that we just kicked out. So, um, you know, running someone against Kaufman would be insane as well. And that's just petty, but that's Nick, I think, lives up there. Um, so, which by the way is interesting because he was a, up there means New Hampshire and he was a delegate for the state of Ohio at the, uh, the convention. He doesn't live in a while. Interesting. Okay. So yeah, very bizarre, uh, how he would be supporting people against, like I, I've tried to do these. I didn't become a libertarian really until 2020. Um, I just didn't pay much attention. I always voted Republican and I was just kind of coasting along. And then obviously some crazy shit went down in 2020 and I had a podcast, and I yeah. started to interview. I interviewed Joe Jorgensen, interviewed Spike Cohen, oh. Larry Sharp, Jim Gray. I, um, you know, there was, and then it slowly progressed to now. I do maybe maybe half of my episodes are, are liberty type stuff, um, and I forget where I was going with that. Um, but it, it's fascinating. Let me ask you real quick. So yeah. how did yep. how did you end up getting all those uh, interviews? That's great. Um, great oh, grab for you. Yeah, very good question. Uh, I just basically probably do similar stuff to you where I, I, I listen to podcasts and then I try to keep my finger on the pulse of things and invite someone on, you know, just hop in their Twitter inbox like I did with you, that type deal. Uh, I got Kokesh. I was one of the first guys to, to interview, oh, wow. <laughs> one of the first guys to interview Kokesh after he blew up. I saw him at Reno. I saw his bus too. And, um, yeah, it's, uh, <laughs> he's an interesting cat. 
Do you think that's something I should brag about? Is that just a low hanging fruit? Something, something like Coca? He he you know, lost his shit on your interview with him. No, I'm saying you know just that whole thing that you and I both saw on social media where he was turning yeah. on everyone within the Mises Caucus, and not in a pleasant way, not in the exact same way as like Sarwark, a little bit of a different brand of that. We've seen a polite, ver- relatively polite version with you interviewed Mark Clare. And that was, a, yeah. you know, he was, in my opinion, he's just stating a rational approach to things versus, you know, sure. just like two different ways to skin a cat type deal. And then there was Kokesh, who he did, he did say some bad shit about Tom Woods, actually, now that I remember it. So he was, he was blown up, not the exact same as Sarwark, but he blew up. And I was like, holy fuck. I guess I'll try to interview this guy. Yeah, Adam is interesting because his blow up. I mean, I think it's it was good to listen to a bunch of you know his interviews right right away on it because I think it showed him just to be kind of sadly. I think it's he's uh, just got some issues. I don't know what it is, but um, you know it's much different than the Mark Claire who you know his conversation you can you can take and you're like oh, I, I I could totally disagree with Mark. Uh, or even like a, a Pete Quinones, but um, it doesn't mean that, um, you know, Adam just seems off. Just <laughs> something a little off, that's all. I've interviewed Pete, I've interviewed Mark, and I've interviewed Adam. Uh, would you say that 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 uh, Pete and Mark are, are in similar boats? You know, uh, Mark did not want to say he was in similar boats, right? And, and partly because uh, when the, his, his podcast, so Mark Claire, Lions of Liberty, uh, big time podcaster. By the way, I did a review, a whole review of their uh, shows, played episodes from, you know, number one episode on through for he, Brian Williams and uh, John Odermatt. And then Mark comes out, does a podcast where he's like, you know, kind of has some issues with the Mises caucus. And then he, he actually reached out to me and said, Hey, I'll, I'll come on your show and we'll do, we'll do a podcast about it. Um, Mark was, he's much easier about it. And I think he has a, a, a good idea and he didn't really want to say, do what Pete is, which is Pete's basically saying vote GOP, get your, get your party in there. Cause, but what's the result then of Mark Claire's thing? You, I, I asked him, I said, um, so you, if you say you're not, not advocating voting for the GOP, are you saying don't vote at all? Because if you're not saying vote, don't vote at all, then you are saying vote for someone, but you're saying don't vote libertarian. Well, it's going to be the GOP or the, uh, the DNC. And I don't think it's the DNC. So he's kind of, you know, changed his, but then he's kind of going down that route too. So I don't know. I think he's maybe just uh, frustrated and upset. And, and, you know, the last two years have really, uh, and I, I don't mean this in a bad way, but it's warped everybody, uh, our society. And so he's trying to come up with answers. And I don't think, uh, you know, questioning and, and as he's doing is a bad thing. I just think he and Pete have different Pete's in, been influenced by Andrew, uh, popular Liberty and which is perfectly fine. I'm not a fan of Andrew's uh, of him personally. I think his ideas have some merit, uh, but someone who came from the GOP, I'm just not at all interested in playing their games. And then you just saw whether we're going to be voting in red flag laws, uh, you know, for guns and stuff. And I'm just like, this is the, <laughs> I don't want anything to do with that party. Nothing. So, um, you know, Andrew's not going to convince me at all. That's perfectly fine. Um, Pete may, Pete may be able to do it. I just think they need to, to fix some of their messaging. They, they like to, um, back in the, the, the turn of the century of the 1900s, um, our, most our entire country was religious. Okay. <clears throat> so you had all these religions vying for people to come into them. So how would they do it? And just the, the way that everything was, um, they were firing brimstone. So if you can say that, you know, you're the one religion that's going to save you, uh, and, and preach that the other ones are, you're all going to hell, those kind of things, you may be able to convince people over. I don't think that's the way to do it in a religion. I also don't think that's a way to convince people to liberty is by trying to do what I think Pete and some of these are doing, mostly Andrew, uh, too, uh, of like uh, berating everybody if you don't come to their side. That's my personal interpretation of it. I could be completely wrong. Um, I, I like these guys. Well, I don't like Andrew. That's just, <laughs> that's my personal thing. But I do like a lot of these other guys. Um, so, yeah. Um, my strategy is I, well, my wife is from Cuba and there's a, a big Cuban community mm. here in Louisville, Kentucky. And one of our friends tried to secure the Republican seat 
or the Republican nomination to run for Congress here in Louisville. And so my wife and I both made sure to be registered as Republicans so we could vote for him in the primaries. And he didn't get the, you know, he didn't get it. But I'm just going to leave it to where I am Republican. Okay, so here's my strategy. Leave it where I'm Republican. If, yeah. a, if a good Republican comes along, I get to vote for them when I need to. Okay, now, would I vote for Dave Smith or Donald Trump? I'd vote for Dave Smith. Would I vote for Dave Smith over Ron DeSantis? I'd vote for Dave Smith. No question. Now, if by some miracle, Thomas Massey or Rand Paul got the Republican nomination, would I vote for Rand Paul, who I thought could actually win, or Dave Smith? I'd vote for Rand Paul. Um, that's kind of where I'm at right now. Does that at least make sense? I, it does. And by the way, I, my talk about I'm not having anything to do with the GOP is somewhat uh, hyperbole too, because I do locally, like I told you, Kevin Kiley, it was the guy I have interest in. But I, I also think in, in each state can be structured differently where you have to either be registered one way or another to vote in the primaries. Perfectly fine. Do what's best for you to promote Liberty. The biggest I, and I, and by the way, you mentioned Jeremy Kaufman. I actually asked him about this. I'm like, look, where you're at, you're running, you have a viable chance of winning. Um, you know, the law of the libertarians up there, I take it that you just being in the race swings the, the, the window the Overton window towards Liberty. So you, you have to, those Republicans have to cater to your side just to be able to at least get the, maybe grab votes away from you or to, to have coalitions. He's like, exactly. He's like, it's much that way more than uh, a lot of other places. So, you know, I think the libertarian party can do those kind of things locally. You know, you run it in a place and maybe hold those Republicans to not doing red flag laws as an example, because you need their, their voting block. And so what you're doing there in your state, I think local and thinking those way is, and then that is the thing that I think Andrew and Pete have it is uh, focusing on those local uh, elections specifically to, um, you know, get what you can do, get what you can get. There is, as you kind of alluded to though, a fine line where like I voted for Trump in 2016 and he was going to drain the swamp and all that. And then he right. just, even before Corona, he ran up like, more debt, way more debt than any before Corona than any president prior. And I was like, yeah, he did a few good things, but I'm not fucking voting for this again. So, I mean, I guess there is a, a line where, um, you know, I, I voted for a guy named Brad Barron for Senate instead of Mitch McConnell. So I was, you know, not that it, not that it mattered, but I mean, obviously Mitch won. Um, but I mean, there's definitely a, a distinction between a good Republican from a liberty, uh, uh, you know, basis versus a bad one. So I guess that's where it comes into play is the, where is the line? Yeah. And I think even just you deciding to <clears throat> pull the trigger for someone besides Mitch McConnell is important almost in your own sense, because, you know, for me growing up, you know, you kind of vote the line, you, you look and see who the party has for all these people and you just boom, boom, boom. And maybe there's guilt over not doing that. Um, so just, stepping out of that comfort zone is, is an important uh, way of going about it as well. Yeah. And, and I'm saying all these things like it's that big of a deal. It's really not, but <laughs> right. it's like, right. I'm dissecting like, aha, I voted for Brad Barron. And you know, I don't know, but it, it's an interesting thing to basically, cause an argument can be made. I assume you're, you, you are, you're a delegate. So you're completely a, uh, a member of the Mises Caucus, and you're all the way Mises Caucus, correct? Yeah, well, so the delegate is for the state of California, but yeah, I got that way because I was part of the Mises Caucus. Yes, yeah. But you can admit that a case can be made, like what I'm describing, where it's like, okay, we'll try to get the good Republicans in locally and then vote for a oh, good, good libertarian when we can. That makes perfect sense too, right? Uh, not only does it make perfect sense, it is the strategy I think you should use. And once again, uh, you can definitely run libertarians in certain areas that might be able to sway and, and help pull votes, uh, at least the, the GOP to, to bend one way or another. They're not going to do that in California, right? They're, the GOP can't even pull votes. So it's only going to be, you know, one way or another. So yeah, that, I think that's a, that's a perfectly fine strategy and it's a, it's sensible. And that's, I think the, you know, the idea of the libertarian party in a big sense, you know, you think talk about Dave Smith for president, that's not going to happen. 
uh, he may run, but I mean, he's not going to win. Uh, and we don't want him to win because he'd probably be killed at some point as well. So keep him safe. Uh, but it's kind of the messaging. It'd be amazing to get someone like Dave up on the stage, uh, you know, at least um, kind of give him some I, people some ideas uh, of what else there is out there. On what stage, though? Um, I, that's a really good question. Uh, it would be great to see him on the debate stage, although, the, you know, those rules are always changed. I, seriously, I mean, that's, that's just uh, masturbate in the sense of uh, – thinking about something that really get us excited. Imagine him on the stage with Donald Trump and whoever the, the left wants to throw up there. You know, Trump is great with his one-liners, but Dave, that's what he does, right? And so I just think that would be fascinating. Plus he knows his facts. So you can, you, I, I mean, to me, just as a comedian, I'm not a comedian, but someone who loves comedy, who loves that kind of drama stuff, that would be fun, uh, at least to see in person. But it's not realistic we see that because libertarians don't, don't get <laughs> no, shit. No, come on, but yeah. we can, boy can dream, yeah. So that opens the question for, and I don't think I've ever even mentioned this, but what about Dave runs in 20 for 2024, doesn't get it, and then ends up running down the road when he has a bigger audience? I know you're going to hate it, but as a Republican. Um, well, so... I, I say things and then I'm kind of have to say, yeah, of course I'd support Dave. Right. I mean, look what, that's kind of the Ron Paul thing, right? He, he, and, and look, there's been debates with Dave Smith, Eric Brakey, and even Phil Bishop about how this should be done. Now you have someone like Dave Smith running in there, or this is even locally. I believe this is what Andrew and Buck Johnson are doing in Texas. Buck is, I think running for some local office there, you know, that's not a, a necessarily a guy that, uh, but I do have some problems with their theory, which doesn't seem to me anything other than just a different form of authoritarianism. Dave would be, if he's going to run as a GOP and he has a lot of the backing, I don't, I don't understand how that even happens. The GOP would have to go through some massive mechanisms and changes to even allow someone like Dave in there. I mean, at least me personally, that's what I would think. Hmm. Okay. And that's because he has, such anarchist, radical views on things like foreign policy? Yeah, so exactly right. Foreign policy, you know, that is not a stance. Uh, I mentioned Murray Rothbard earlier, and by the way, for me, you know, you sound like you you said you were GOP as well. Me coming from the right, there's some things you have to change in your life if you're going to be libertarian or at least rethink in a different method. And I had to, war was a big I don't know about problem, but actually it's, I, while I was making this change of over to libertarianism, I listened to Dave, you know, war is kind of one of the last things. And then I'm watching a, the documentary, Ken Burns documentary on the uh, Vietnam war, which I'd read, you know, tons of stuff about, uh, you know, it's always, and the problem I'd had with the Vietnam war was always the left pushes it from the uh, communist perspective rather than the pro peace putting our boys in danger. And, and so it was fascinating. I'm watching that. I'm seeing some guy that had been um, enlisted, went through, um, you know, early on in the war, he wasn't drafted, and then he gets out and he actually protests the war, and he hates Jane Fonda, yet he hates the war. And I was like, I I haven't seen this perspective, and then I found Murray Rothbard, and that's kind of the same uh, idea. So, um, yeah, I think Dave, you know, the, the left and the right do have a lot in common, which is let's go bomb unless the other guy is in office, then we'll pretend to be against the bombing. Uh, until our guy's back in office, then we're good with the bombing. So that's that, that's probably the way Dave gets killed. <laughs> that's, okay, so my rebuttal to that would be, if you watch that, what was it, in 1988, when um, Ron Paul was on that, what, Morton Downey Jr. show, I assume you've seen that? Yeah. He sounded adamantly anti-war, okay? And they ended up accepting him in. Is it because he was a doctor and he's very Christian and, and he wears a suit? Is that why the Republican Party accepted him? I'm just trying to see what's the difference. Well, I don't think they did accept him because um, they did locally. So he gets elected. He's Thomas Massey. What Thomas Massey do on the floor of, you know, when they were trying to pass the big stimulus bill and uh, President Trump calls him a uh, third rate congressman. And he says, no, I'm you know, actually second rate, uh, you know, and he's one of the most hated men in America. So he gets voted in from his local jurisdiction, but he doesn't get any power in Congress. 
uh, John Paul, I, I think, uh, I, you know, I listened, he actually did a speech when I was in Reno. I think he said he had never been, you know, the criticism for him, he had never passed a piece of legislation. So you're saying they accepted him. What did they accept him? They accepted him being a, literally living in, a, in his office with a broom closet. I mean, he got no perks. He got, he got absolutely nothing other than he was Dr. Paul and okay, he's here. He's not going to cause any problems, blah, blah, blah. Um, you know, and that's why, you know, but he could run for president, but he doesn't get elected. And, you know, he did waffle between the libertarian party, I think early on. And then, uh, the GOP, uh, later as far as running for president, but I would just push back and say, I don't think they ever really accepted him and they didn't have to. So this ties it back around. So sometimes my ADHD style does end up circling back. Um, right. Call back. So, yep. So they didn't accept him. However, he got onto that fucking debate stage. How valuable is that? Right. See, and that to me, that, exactly. But what did he create out of that? He created this Ron Paul revolution, which really enacted a bunch of libertarians. Um, I remember, I, I mean, for me at the time, I remember having a conversation with one of my good friends and he is like, you know, Ron Paul, he's all interested in that. And, and I'm like, uh, yeah, but his foreign policy is bothersome. So I wasn't persuaded. I, I wasn't a Ron Paul guy at the time. He didn't turn me on to that. But he had turned a lot of people that were either made, that war was the big deal. But he didn't turn them into Republicans. I don't believe. I think he turned them more into libertarians. I'm just guessing on some of this. I don't have the data. Uh, but you know, who's Ron Paul associated with now? Is he associated with libertarians, or is he embraced by the the, the Republicans? Definitely more so the libertarians. But you can't. You know, uh, and I know you're not denying it, but he positively impacted the country. He, I think he he may be credited in some ways with making the Republican Party maybe, and you tell me if you disagree, maybe more anti-war now in 2022 than they were in, you know, than the Democrat Party is in 2022, A, but the Republican Party has at least been impacted and uh, whatever the reason is, his son has gotten into to Senate's taken a different approach, obviously, but I mean... Uh, fucking Rand Paul is like the man over these past couple of years. He's killing it. So, I mean, I don't know. I guess what I'm saying is I love the idea and I look forward to hopefully voting for Dave Smith. I don't know what the long-term strategy is, but his energy, his wit is like almost the perfect mixture. I just don't know what the long-term best case scenario is. You make, a, you make a lot of good points, and I like the white pill effect, which is <clears throat> people are talking about all these pills, they're wondering what the problem is here. The white pill is kind of like the hope, right? The black pill is like there's nothing left. So what I mean by that is you talk, oh, so look, Ron Paul does have a, a, a place in this. I think uh, Donald Trump, though, and the fact that we were at war for plus, 20 plus years, and then Trump gets in there and he is more anti-war, and he made it, the MAGA people actually be okay with this, um, he was then has, it's kind of trickled down to, okay, this is Ron Paul started this whole process. So now Ron Paul is almost I, me personally. He's like more accepting, uh, acceptable, uh, for me now because I've come to that way. And so a lot of Republicans would be seeing him in the same way, but you're also right that he has given us, um, his son, who's not the most perfect, uh, you know, Senator at all, but he's done a lot of good things, uh, that I'm, I'm proud of, uh, for, you know, at least for your state. So yeah. Once again, that's, that's great as well. Dave, and I'll just kind of end, end your question on this. Um, you know, I said earlier, oh, I'm an, I'm an attorney. Okay, big effing deal. There's a lot of idiots out there. Nick Sarwick is an attorney. Uh, and my point of saying this is there's Dave Smith, who I, I've been able to, I've had conversations with him. Um, you listen to him. You listen to him debate. You, you heard it. If you guys go check him out on uh, Patrick Bed David's podcast in comparison to Joe Jorgensen, he's an amazing communicator and he's not, I don't think, I, I think he got his four year degree. I don't know, but some people are just smart. And my point is, it doesn't matter what their degrees are. People can be smart and you should listen to them for what the, they bring to the table. Uh, and I think Dave is a perfect example of that. I agree completely. Tyler Yonke of the libertarian podcast review. I really appreciate your time before we wrap things up. What are your social media plugs? What type of mentions would you like to say before we wrap the episode up? Yeah, first of all, I just really want to thank you, Kelly, for reaching out. Uh, I've enjoyed this conversation. Um, and that's pretty much the podcast that I enjoy are good conversations. 
you can find me, uh, probably my, my best one. Follow me if you want, uh, on Twitter, T Y L E R J A N K E uh, on Twitter, uh, libertarian podcast review. I'm on YouTube locals, um, odyssey. It's on Spotify. It's on most of the podcast catchers. You check it out there. I love it. Tyler, thank you very much for your time. Have a great rest of your evening. Thank you. Thank you. I want to thank everyone for tuning into the Kelly Patrick Show. Of course, we will have another episode out soon.